there and I pray that what I share this morning will be in the spirit of love and from the heart and with a great deal of tenderness and that's what I've been praying for but on the other hand there are some things that I will say here at the beginning that uh, I'm hoping will stir us up a little bit and I think at times we do need to be stirred up last week John and Jane Christensen attended First Church a church that is part of a denomination that Jane grew up in. The Sunday before that, they attended Theater Community Church because the music is so good and there's so much excitement and a sense of momentum among those who attend. The week before that, John and Jane stayed home, watched and applauded as Dr. James Kennedy on television called America to account for her immoral behavior. The week before that, they attended Fellowship Community Church. They particularly enjoy the love and the sense of warmth that they feel among the people there at Fellowship Community Church and enjoy always going and seeing them. The week before that, it was such a beautiful day that they took a drive through the mountains east of San Diego and enjoyed communing with God through the natural beauty that surrounded them. Today... John and Jane are attending Berean Bible Church. The preacher's ability to explain and make difficult passages of Scripture, to make those passages clear, never ceases to amaze them. Next week, where will they be attending? It all depends on how they feel next Saturday. Arch, come on, are you making this up? Yes, I am. But according to church growth gurus like Lyle Shaler, John and Jane Christensen, are more normal than we might think. Numbers from the Barna Research Group that does these surveys among Christians and non-Christians alike support the theory each year one out of every seven adults changes churches and one out of every six adults attends a carefully chosen handful of churches on a rotating basis. One out of every six adults basically circulates among a number of churches today. Americans are a religious people. A church remains an important aspect of life for the tens of millions of Americans who go to church. However, there is less concern about brand loyalty to churches than there used to be, says Barna. Although Americans do not change churches as regularly as they change a brand of gasoline, church loyalty is a modern casualty says the Barnett Research Company. Why don't church-minded adults settle down somewhere? Why not just choose a good church and stick with it? Ask one article on the subject of church hopping. The article continues, It's not a simple answer. Little research has been done into what motivates church loyalty. One frequent explanation is a pure, not-so-old-fashioned consumer mentality. If you don't have quality child care during Bible study, I'll go elsewhere. Religion and spirituality have become just another product in the broader marketplace of goods and services. Adults will flit from one church to another the way they hunt for Christmas bargains. Which church has the best child care? Which church has my favorite style of music? Which church has the strongest recreation program? Which church is the friendliest? In a society where there is always another option, even religion is vulnerable to the calculating 
buyer. It's not unusual to hear sincere Christians today say something like, I go to one church where I can grow spiritually, another so I can participate in Generation Xer worship service, still another so I can serve and make a global impact, and still another so I can contribute to my local community through service there. Why should I join and affiliate with just one church? This fulfills me. I do not think church hopping is so bad. Lifestyle changes also complicate the picture. Today, the average working couple logs 717 more office hours a year than they did in 1969. We're working a lot more today than we did then. One person explains the mindset of the average working person this way. Their take is, I'm going to work 24-7 for the 10 years, totally give up my life, and retire a millionaire at 35 or 40. And they take a mattress to the office. It leaves little time to attend church and much less stick with one. Another tired voice says, you work 48 hours in a week and you, and you work 12 of those yesterday, that is Saturday, and you just want a day off. And then they add this in this article. For a person who hasn't settled into one church, it becomes easier to take a day off. Likewise, attending church sporadically keeps many people from getting deeply involved anywhere. Now, I share these things to sort of prime the pump for today's message. And today's message is a, the third in a series of messages I've entitled Back to the Future because these messages go back to the fundamentals of our faith and our walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, but they also have a forward-looking futuristic concern. And so I think they're important. A couple weeks ago, we looked at how to become a Christian. But first, why become a Christian? Last week, we looked at how to become a disciple. But first, why become a disciple? And by the way, many people confuse becoming a Christian with becoming a disciple, and they're very different things. Today, we want to look at how to become a member of this local church. But first, why become a member of any church? Next week, we want to look at how to become a mature Christian. But first, why should I want to become a mature Christian? So to keep us moving toward the heart of today's message, I've asked a new couple in our church who have recently joined the church to come up and let, the, let me ask them a couple questions that I think will help us focus in on the heart of what we want to deal with today. Jeff and Nancy Seiler, many of you know them because they're, they're hard not to know. They're very friendly and very easy to get to know. Jeff works in investments and real estate, I believe, and Nancy is a stewardess for Delta Airlines. Both of them have, uh, have become very involved in our church. I know Jeff was in, uh, attended faithfully our men's Bible study last year on Tuesday nights, and Nancy uh, took my theology study last year. And uh, they've been more than willing to, to take up slack and help in any way they can. And they've, they've just really become willing servants in our church. And so I'd like for them to come down front here. And we're going to take just a minute. And uh, I don't know. I needed that. I should have asked the guys to get the uh, other mic ready. I'll try to steal this if I can so that we can use this. So how are you guys doing this morning? John and Jean. What do you mean? You were talking about John and Jean. I thought. Oh, oh, 
You felt that was you? Yeah. Well, I think all of us have been there at some point. <laughs> but uh, in any case, uh, I want to uh, ask you, first of all, as, as we've talked, uh, what it is, maybe a couple things that really led you or encouraged you to become a part of this church family. So, which one wants to take that question? All right. Okay, um, at first, um, we did go to, I think, every church in town. We, we went to uh, high school gymnasiums and tents, and we went to churches where the pastor was on the radio, and you couldn't clap in that church. Yeah. A little bit higher? Okay. You've got to get it close to your mouth. Okay. Um, we went to a church where the pastor was on the radio, and, and like I said, you couldn't clap in that church. We went to... Um, um, yeah. <laughs> and um, we were married in a um, Assembly of God church, where you can clap anytime you wanted. And um, we attended a Baptist church for many years, and that church went through a separation. And uh, it left us with a, an empty spot. We really wanted to find another church family, um, somewhere we could find the the heart and the mind of Christ um, in a family environment. And um, I was attending a Bible study with um, uh, Richard. His name is Richard uh, Eichner and uh, Glenn's brother. And um, I respected him and uh, his opinions and we asked, uh, do you have a recommendation? And uh, he gave us a couple and uh, I went online and I pulled up your uh, articles of faith and reviewed those and then uh, I have an email those to another um, uh, mature Christian uh, brother that I knew and I says read this over and tell me what you think is there anything strange in here you know, what, is, is it solid he gave it the okay and uh, we came here uh, one Sunday not knowing what to expect and everyone was so friendly you know when we first walked in uh, we kind of thought we were at a Mormon church because we never met a, a Mormon that wasn't really you know a neat person and uh, but I wanted to know about the teaching I wanted to listen to that and um, the first thing I noticed was that unlike so many other churches we had gone to where they would take um, a topical study and pull bits and pieces of different scripture out of what context we don't know I, I noticed that you know the words were right up on the screen and they would go through uh, that section of scripture and I thought well that's good I don't have to go home now and find out whether each of these references are actually what they were intended to be um, but I was very interested in whether or not this church was uh, teaching sound doctrine. So I got a chance to go to the men's Bible study. Uh, we went to... Um, Start going to beach nights, too. Well, yeah, but we went to the beach nights. We went to uh, brunch with some of the older members of the church, some of the new members of the church, um, on the 4th of July. Um, I told Nancy after just a short uh, time of going here, I said, this church is going to wear us out. You know, we really have a lot to do here. Um, but I still was not satisfied, and you offered the distinctives class. 
And I thought, okay, this is good. This is going to be the opportunity to find out what these people really believe. And I attended that every meeting. And we talked about it at home. And uh, what we were really looking for is the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ in a a family, a a church family, a home. Um, And so... um, once we knew we were like-minded, and we enjoyed the people here so much, uh, we approached one of the elders and says, okay, we want to know about, you know, how do we... We wanted to know that there was a mutual agreement between the church and us that we were of like mind. And so uh, we, we took it from there, and we were really glad we did. So, Thanks. That's great. Let me ask you one other question as a follow-up, and that is... Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to want to sort of root down in one church, which I think is a most important issue. But then to take the additional step of formal church membership, you know, why is it you believe that that was important regarding any church, that you wanted to find a church that you would be willing to formally identify with publicly and so forth? You, which one of you or both of you? Oh, you want him to do the talk? He is doing good. Um, we we do believe as a family there is a sense of commitment there um, we want to know that the church is there for us and then we understand the obligation to then share what gifts God has blessed us with and that it is a mutual it's a give and take and um, just like in any family there is a commitment and uh, without that step of commitment you haven't really formalized, I think, your your um, mutual obligations to one another and privileges that you can share. That's great. What is it that, that we always say? Um, everybody can be an example, and you can be a bad one. So, That's true. So it's better to you know to live your life or lead your life in a way that you can be a, a good example to other people because the church is. You know, to me, because, you know, like, like Jeff said, we don't have family here in California, and so you guys are our family. And with any relationship, you know, be it marriage, be it the church, be it whatever, you, you have to give something back. You can't just suck the sponge dry. And you have to be able to replenish the moisture in the, in the sponge. Otherwise, everybody loses. That's right. That's well, well said. You both precious couple, and I've enjoyed your friendship immensely. Thank you. Thanks so much. Talk to you. Why is membership in a church, a local church like ours, important? Why shouldn't we be free spirits? moving about according to the way we feel among several churches. Or perhaps in and out of church as we please. One Sunday we're here, and the next three Sundays we're gone. What is the purpose of church membership? Is there any biblical support for becoming a member of one local church? Now, if you're looking in the scripture for that passage that says, Thou shalt join a local church, you won't find that passage. And I, uh, I want to mention, this is one of those topical messages that 
that they said they don't care for. But uh, in any case, uh, you, you really don't have a choice because when you deal with this subject, you do have to draw on a number of scriptures. And we do normally do a more of a book-by-book, verse-by-verse study, but over the summer I get some freedom to, to jump into some topics. Of course, neither will you find that one passage that says, Thou shalt not become a member of a local church. But this does not mean that the Scriptures don't have a lot to say about membership in a local church. The answers to our questions begin with and become very evident as we understand how the word member is used in the Bible. The word member. And that's, of course, we often speak about a member of this church. And uh, when we think about the word member in the Bible, how is that word used? The word member in the Bible is used in several ways. It is used to refer to a member of a family, the member of a council, the member, a member of our physical body, a member of the universal church and a member of the local church. This morning I would like to focus on the last three ways the word member is used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. First, the most common way in which the word member is used in the Bible seems to be in a literal, physical sense as a reference to a part or limb of the body. Romans 6, we read in verses 12 and 13, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, un, of righteousness to God. When the Bible uses the word member to refer to a part of our physical body, and there's a number of passages where it does this. Jesus used it that way. Paul used it that way. James used it that way. Four things stand out. Each member, whether we're talking about the eye, the hand, the foot, or whatever, each member is joined to the body. Secondly, each member is subject and responds to the head of the body. And notice when he says, he's mixing it up here, he says, don't present your members, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present them as instruments of righteousness. There's someone, something that's controlling it, and it's my head that's controlling what I do with my members. Thirdly, each member is helped and strengthened by the rest of the body. The eye is helped by the hand lifting the eyelid up, so that a speck of sand or dirt can be taken from it. Fourthly, each member contributes to the functioning of the body. One of the things that, uh, as most of you know, I'm into motorcycling. I've ridden for years and years and years, and I'm very into the proficient idea of motorcycling and how to do it safely and so forth. Um, one of the things you learn is when you go into a curve, the majority of newer riders in motorcycles often are looking down at the road and they're trying to steer the bike and then what happens if you get into a curve that isn't balanced it's sort of what they call a decreasing radius curve where it goes sharper as you get into it further they run out of road they go off the road and of course the minute they hit the berm with the gravel and sand down they go well, what they teach you in proficient motorcycling is when you go into the curve, you aren't to be looking down in front of you, you're to be looking where you want to go in the curve. 
looking down the road, around the curve. As your eyes focus on that, it leads those around that curve. And uh, the eyes have a way of leading and protecting and caring for the body to make sure that we don't get into trouble. The second way that the word member is used is that it's lifted out of the context of the physical body. That's sort of the root idea. But then it's applied to the spiritual body of Christ. And we find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to, to 21. And I'm just going to read some excerpts here. And I know some of this is maybe a little familiar from the conference we just had on spiritual gifts, but bear with me because all of this will lead to where we want to go in a minute when we talk about membership in the church. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or whether slaves or free, or, and have all been made to drink of the one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor yet again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In this spiritual sense, every believer in Jesus Christ is a member of the body of Christ. What does it mean to be a member of the spiritual body of Christ? Again, four things stand out which parallel how the word member is used to the physical body. First, each member, we're talking about the body of Christ now, each member of the body of Christ is joined to the body of Christ. And this happens, friends, at the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you believe and I believe in Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord, at that moment, we're born again. We receive God's life. But we're also taught that the Spirit of God, or pardon me, the Lord Jesus Christ, baptizes us into the Spirit. He baptizes us into the Spirit, and then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, then joins us to the body of Christ so that we are there attached to the body of Christ with all the other members who have believed in Christ from the beginning of the church at the day of Pentecost to the day in which the Lord Jesus takes it home to heaven, which we call the rapture. The second way in which this word refers, member refers to the spiritual body, is that each member is subject to the head of the body, which is Christ. That member must respond and is accountable to Christ. Colossians 1.18 reminds us that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Every believer has a responsibility to respond to the head of the body. Third, each member is helped and strengthened by the rest of the body. For example, a member that leads or cares for the body is helped and strengthened by a member that shares light from the Word of God in the body, just as the eye helps the hands. Fourth, each member contributes to the functioning of the body. That is, a member who is able to show mercy 
contributes to those members who are suffering or hurting in the body. As we were reminded in the spiritual gifts conference, we all have been given spiritual gifts. What are we to do with those? They were given to us that we might serve the body, contribute to the body. Third, the word member is lifted out of the context of the universal and invisible body of Christ and applied now to the local visible body of Christ, what we call the local church. This universal, invisible spiritual body, the body of Christ, which has uniquely been formed and joined together by the Holy Spirit, has a local, visible, material counterpart upon this earth, and it's called the local church. The local church is a part of the universal church that meets in a particular... this community. We are right now the local church that's meeting right here in this particular spot. Now, we read in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he'd been talking about us being joined to the body of Christ and about the universal church. He goes on and he says this in verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And then he adds... Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Who's the you referred to? He's talking to the Corinthians. You as a local church, you are here fleshing out the body of Christ and you're individually members of that body. The word church occurs about 110 times in the New Testament, a little over that. Over 90 of those occurrences refer to the local church. And never will you find mention of a Christian who is not a member of a local church. Many people wonder, what was the new, who was the New Testament written to? People that don't know anything about the Bible think that it was written, about, written to non-Christians. The only book that was written particularly to non-Christians or non-believers is the, book, or the Gospel of John. The rest of the New Testament was written to the church. And it wasn't written at the, to the church at large. It was written primarily, the majority of it was written to local churches. The letter to the book of Romans, the letter to the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Philippians. These were all local churches. They were visible material churches that fleshed out the invisible universal church which consists of all believers from the beginning of Pentecost to the rapture. The local church makes visible the invisible church which is made up of all believers in all places in all ages and times. Furthermore, in a very real sense, it visibly mirrors in the physical realm of this earth what it means to be a member of the body of Christ in the spiritual realm of the spirit in the physical realm of this this world that we're in if you want to know how things actually work in the spiritual realm in the body of Christ you look at the local church which is making that visible or should be making that visible therefore the things that are true of the universal church should also be mirrored in the church that is the local church. 
First, every believer in the local church is joined to a local church body. Is to be joined, I should say, to a local church body. And we'll explain how in just a minute. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All who believed were visibly together. They saw them together, and they had all things in common. In Colossians 4, verse 9, we read, With uh, Onesimus, Paul refers to him as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He was a recognized part or member of the church in Colossae. Epaphras, who is one of you, he was also a recognized member and part of the church in Colossae, although he was with Paul at that moment that he was writing. He was a pastor. These men were recognized and identified with the universal church body, but with the local church body. He wasn't thinking of them simply in the sense that they were joined to the body of Christ, but they were joined to the body of Christ that meets at Colossae. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we read, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Second, as members of a local church body, every believer is to be in subjection, that is to be responsive and accountable to the elders who are, the sh- who are to shepherd the church as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Second, the believer is to be a part of a local church under the leadership of the elders who in turn are to serve as under-shepherds under the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd, the head of the church. Peter brings this out in verse five, chapter 5 of 1 first Peter. He writes, The elders who are among you I exhort, and I am who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. He's speaking to the elders. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those to whom you are trusted, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit to your elders. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul urges the Christians in Thessalonica. He says, Recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. In Hebrews chapter 1, or pardon me, chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you in that church and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Now, how could the, how could the elders possibly exercise such leadership in the lives of those who are free spirits? Refusing to see themselves as accountable to any church, much less as under the headship of the elders. They can't. Unless those people are tied to that church in some way. Third, as members of a local church body, every believer is to be helped and strengthened by the other members. Paul writes, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, and so forth? He says, Let all things be done for edification. 
The word edification means to build up. But all things that you're doing in the church, build up the body. That's what's to be happening. Every believer is to be helped and strengthened by the, by the ministry of other believers, whether it's a word of encouragement, whether it's taking your children aside and teaching them, a number of ways in which we can help one another. Fourth, as members of a local church body, every believer is to contribute to the functioning life of that body. Is to contribute to the functioning life of that body. We read this in Romans 12 where it says, For as many as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ. That's the universal. And individually, members of one another. That's the local. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Ephesians 4, he brings his climatic section there dealing with how the body is to be working back and forth at different parts of it. He says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or the building up of itself in love. This is what it means to be a member of a local church. We're joined together. We're in subjection to church leadership. We're edified by other members. And we're contributing to the functioning life of the local church body. Now, one major question remains. No matter how, how can we be joined to a local church? How are we joined to a local church? In the universal church, it's very clear how you're joined to the universal church. The moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, the Lord Jesus baptizes us into the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who in turn joins or unites us to the body of Christ, invisible body of Christ, what's called the universal body of Christ that all believers are united to. And it's by virtue of being joined to that body that it makes it possible for us to drink from that one spirit and thereby be led by the head of the body and brought into a functioning, serving relationship with other members of the body. The local church mirrors the spiritual reality on earth. There's a baptism in both ways. In the universal body, the Lord Jesus Christ baptizes us into the Spirit, called spiritual baptism. But in the local church, believers are visibly baptized into water. A water baptism that expresses a believer's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that they have been cleansed from their sins by virtue of His death on the cross for their behalf, that they have a cleansed life and they've been set free from guilt and oppression, from their old life, free to experience the fullness of a new kind of life, eternal life. Water baptism. That's believed that a believer's visible identity with the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on this earth as a result of their water baptism and visible identification with Christ, they were received in the local church and regarded as members of that local church body. We read this, Acts 2.41, Then those who gladly received His word, they believed, 
And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Or pardon me, and they were baptized, having received the word and believed, and they were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added to them. That's the church there in Jerusalem. In Acts 18, 8, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And they became identified with the Corinthian church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. We read that they believed. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And the next thing we read, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. And the reason was to authenticate the church now that had started in Samaria. How did they know a church had started there? Because people were being baptized. That was the visible indicator that they had followed Christ. Now keep in mind, that doesn't have anything to do with whether they go to heaven or not. They go to heaven because they believe in Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, in terms of knowing whether they were a part of the church that was being built by the Holy Spirit there in Samaria, it was their water baptism and their profession of faith in Christ that was accepted that made them clearly members of that church. These newly baptized believers were regarded as joined to that local church body in subjection to the church leadership, being edified by the other members of the church and contributing to the life and ministry of that church. In the early church, water baptism was the primary means by which a believer identified with Christ and was received into the local church. Remember, churches in that day were just beginning to be formed. And long-established churches were very rare. You found them maybe in Jerusalem. Even there, they'd only been established for a few years. Furthermore, transfers between churches in that day were rare. Why? Because people didn't move down. It took money. You planted down and you stayed put. Those who were like some of those who accompanied the apostles, they would carry with them letters of commendation from their churches, commending them to other churches that they were going to minister in. Others who found it necessary to move to another city, and that was rare, but when it was necessary, they would be received into the church of that city based on their testimony that they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and had been baptized in His name at the church they had come from. These early churches, like likely being unpretentious and smaller in size as a rule, readily accepted such practices and quickly regarded such people as members of the church family. Today, however, we have a larger portion of believers seeming, seemingly moving around frequently from one location to another. Some people move, like here in Southern California, they may move from here to San Diego or here up to Santa Barbara. Sometimes they move across the country, back east, up to Seattle. Sometimes, in some cases, they move to other regions of the world. When they go, they look for a local church. And most churches today have established procedures that are to be followed before someone can become a recognized member of that local church. Because people are moving around and they're, they don't have letters and it's not as simple of a process as it was in the New Testament. And there's nothing that says in the New Testament we have to do everything exactly like they did in the New Testament church. They did what was necessary 
in their particular culture. In our own church, in an attempt to follow the simplicity that marked the early church, and to hold up the truth of the gospel we have come to believe in which we have highlighted in our own water baptism, we have only one procedural matter that must be before a person can become a member, a recognized member of this local church body. We ask that a person express his or her personal faith in our Lord, Jesus Christ, as his or her personal Savior before our elders. Usually there's a meeting. There's one elder that normally handles this. Jack Halp has been the elder over the years that's always enjoyed doing this thing. He sets up the meeting. And Jack really has a great interest in people. And I love that about Jack. It is. He, there's nobody he just doesn't want to just know everything about you. And he just is very interested in people. He sets up a meeting. The elders meet together. There's no test. There's no requirements. There's no waiting periods or long period of indoctrination. They simply will ask you some questions and hopefully as you relay or reveal your spiritual journey, you will at some point or they will at some point ask you a specific question saying, you know, if you were to die tonight, stand before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And if you say, well, I've tried to live a good life, tried to be a good person, tried to go to church every week, I've been tithing all my life, uh, wrong answer. What they're looking for is that you would quickly say, because I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, and I'm trusting Him and Him alone for my eternal destiny. Right answer. Now they'll go on and we try to informally talk with people and we, we ask them to read our Constitution. Um, we like to know if, how they feel about the church, how they felt about the Constitution. Uh, people like... Uh, others that we've had, uh, you know, in the church would take the time to, to look it over. We usually uh, ask them uh, if there's anything in the Constitution they have a problem with. Would they be willing to, you know, abide by the policies and principles of the church? They're not inspired, but would you be willing to follow them? And then we ask them, basically, is there anything in the doctrinal statement that you have a problem with? Because if there is, we'd like to know about it. And we want to make sure that there's no future conflict between what you believe and members of the church. If you're in positions of leadership or teaching or whatever, these need to be, we need to be aware of them. That's just to talk. The only thing they're actually looking for is one thing, and that is, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Now remember, Bob and Gloria, when they were interviewed for membership, the elders came out and they found out a lot more about Bob and Gloria than than uh, normal. Bob and Gloria were very forthcoming, told them a little bit about their past experience in some church that I guess the pastor drove like a maniac. And so they came rushing up to me afterwards. They says, man, you can't get near these people. We don't want them to see how you drive. You'll run them off. I don't know that that was the whole story. I've kidded Bob about that before and he, he explained it to me. But I don't know that he'd want to go for a ride with me on my motorcycle. As far as requirements are concerned, there's only one. A clear testimony that a person believes in Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior and Lord. In our opinion, this procedure of asking people to express their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior is in keeping with the whole spirit of the New Testament, which exhorts those who follow Christ to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within them. Why would anyone have a problem 
with such a simple biblical request. The elders want to meet and hear whether you believe in Jesus or not. That's difficult for me to understand. I remember when we were first in seminary, and I was a fairly new Christian just getting into my, my faith, and my wife and I wanted to join a church because we wanted to serve and be involved in that church, and the church said, well, we're Southern Baptists, you have to be baptized in Southern Baptist Church. We thought about it, well, I don't know what we ought to do here. We've been baptized in believer's baptism. I feel good about my baptism. She felt good about hers. Why is it you're requiring us to do this? They said, well, it's just the way it is. We said, fine. I don't have any problem with getting below the water and coming up out of the water and saying, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and we'll serve in this church because that's more important. And that's what we did. In my opinion, the biggest question is not why become a member of Coast Bible Church. The question is, why not? Why wouldn't someone want to become a member? I'll tell you why. And I want to be careful here because there are some people that I think have some reasons that I think need to be considered in respect. I'm going to cover those in a minute. But the reason that many people don't want to become a member is because that becoming a member means you're joining. And some people consider themselves non-joiners. They don't join anything. They prefer to be unattached, independent, free spirits, free to move on if the pastor preaches a, a couple of politically incorrect messages or the music gets a little weird or too boring or... The people were friendly. Somebody didn't call speak to them on a particular Sunday. They should have thought that they should remember their name. And they want to be ready to leave at any moment's notice. The second reason is because being a member means submitting to church, to a church and its leadership. It means being submissive to the congregation. the congregation puts in charge. That means being responsible and being accountable. And you know that nobody tells a good American what to do. I remember when I first moved here and I lived in this subdivision and, and I wanted to get, uh, I got this notice that says you need to paint your house. I said, well, I'll give it to the board of elders since how the house belongs to the church. But I couldn't believe it. I said, Carolyn, look at this. They're telling me I, I've got to paint the house, got to paint it their color. I said, you know what would happen if we were in Montana and somebody came and told me I'd paint my house? It'd be, you want to paint the house? It's goodbye, boy. Just the idea of having to submit and be accountable is a turnoff for most of us good Americans. We told the king what to do with his tea and we've been determined ever since to tell people to get off the, get, get away. I don't want anything to do with being accountable or responsible or under anybody else's leadership. But that's not a biblical attitude. Third, reason that people have because they don't want to, the reason they don't want to become a member of the church is because being a member means other believers will want to get close to me. You know, they want to help, and they're always want stepping over themselves, wanting to put their arm around you and support you and encourage you, tell you how they love you, and it gets so darn gooey. And you know, I'm just my own person. I don't want all that nonsense. Don't hang leeches on me all the time. I'm free, man. I don't want that church stuff. A fourth reason is the other side. Because being a member means you've got to contribute to the church. Uh-oh, get the money out. No, I'm not just talking about your money. God wants your life. He wants your gifts. He wants your time. He wants your efforts. And He wants it invested in the church. 
and I'm getting into that. I didn't come here to, to serve, I came here to be served. You got it wrong here. I'm a consumer. Schooled in the best school in the world. I'm here as an American. And we know how to consume. I'm not interested in having a bunch of people hanging on me like leeches, telling me to give this and give that. Fifth, some Christians do belong to one church and also fellowship with another church. I want to. A number of years ago, we had a young man in our church, and he was pastoring, or not pastoring, but assisting in a Spanish-speaking church that he was a member of. But he wanted to have his kids in our church, which was an English-speaking church. And I'd shared some thoughts like this along about the, about the concept of membership, and he came up, and he was concerned because he felt like, well, I've got membership in this one church, I want to, what should I do? And I said, you know, I really respect you, and I respect your situation, and there's certainly situations, and usually involving family and things of that nature, that are difficult to work through. And I just want those of you who are here, and you're, maybe you're going to another church, maybe you have your membership in another church, but you're here because you want to hear the word or something. I want to respect that. And I don't want you to feel like that this is a dump on you. You've got good reasons or good motives, and God's given you leadership in that way. I want you to, to feel like you're being respected and regarded highly in this church. It's interesting, this person came to me and he said, would, would the board consider dual membership? We said, sure, why not? When you're here, you'll be under our authority. When you're there, you're under their authority. And that's true, college students, we've done that with them. You know, when, the, when my kids went off to college, I mean, I didn't tell them they couldn't join a church somewhere else. You know, you want people to be plugged in wherever they are. Six. And this is the one that, that sort of gets to me, and that is some Christians claim that local, the church membership is not scriptural. Now, to the contrary, I do not know of anywhere in the Bible which even implies that being, being regarded as a member of a part of a local church is anything but scriptural. And I think what they're really getting at is, well, it's not, we don't need all this legal list and rules and that you have to do, meet with the elders and give your profession of faith and so forth and we just think it should be more less formal. Okay, I'm not going to come unglued. If that's your sincere reasons, I respect that. On the other hand, I call your attention to the list they had of, L, of, of widows, which wasn't an informal list, clearly, in First Timothy 5. They had a list of widows that doesn't seem to be too far of a stretch for me to realize that if they had a larger church and didn't know everybody in the church, they probably had a list of members as well. It's not that long. But I respect your right to disagree. And I don't want you to feel like you've got to leave our church because the pastor preached a message on joining the church. I do feel that in many cases this idea, well, it's not scriptural, is just a smokescreen for some more troubling reasons. And the biggest reason for not becoming a member is procrastination. <laughs> it's like baptism. I'm just not going to do it. I, I, I'll get around to it one of these days, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. Or it's intimidation, that is, I'm afraid, it's embarrassing, I've been here for years, I don't want to join. It's, and we've worked with people on that level, by the way. Friends, I want to encourage you to remember that when or wherever the opportunity to confess your faith in Christ is given, take that opportunity. It's a blessing. You'll be blessed. And if it's joining a church and you can say to that board of elders, I'm a believer in Christ, what greater thing could you say to them? Why wouldn't I want to just stand up and say that today? 
Anytime, anywhere. Anyone asks me, would you want to give a profession of faith to Christ as your Savior? You bet. Just give me the opportunity and I'll talk about Jesus. And this leads into the last three things I want to share here about the blessings and the positive reasons for becoming a member of a local church. First, encouragement. When you join, and when you take that final formal step of meeting with the elders and professing faith in Christ, and we extend to you the right hand of fellowship, and maybe that seems a little hokey to you, but you know, that's so encouraging to our church. When people come down and they say, we're, we want to unite with you, that encourages us. That, they're saying, we want to identify with you. We value you. We're not ashamed of you. That is an encouragement to us as a church. And you know, I think in most cases, it should be an encouragement to you if you're joining. To know that a church is saying, we want you to be a part of us. It's an encouragement all the way around. It strengthens our faith and our, our commitment to one another, as, as was brought out by Jeff. Second, fulfillment. As we function and serve in a local church in ways that benefit others, whether it's in Awana or it's in Sunday school or it's in a ministry of mercy to the hospital or whatever, and when we're doing what we can to minister to other people, we're fulfilled and it's in the local church that it happens. And it's in being, I think, a member of that church that we're feeling that sense that we're, we're making now this commitment and we're ready to move forward and begin to contribute. And the last and third thing that I think is a blessing that comes back, spilling back upon us when we join a church's relationships. Becoming a member of a local church is the first step in making our church a church home. A church home. You know, people aren't drawn to a building. This church would exist if this building fell down, if there was an earthquake. Let's hope it doesn't happen between 10 and noon on Sundays. But if we showed up here and the building was gone, would the church not be anymore? Yes, it would be here because we're a family. What most of us long for in a church is family, is a church home, a church family. And that's brought out over and over again in Scripture with different terms that the Bible uses. It calls us fellow citizens and saints and members of the household, family of God. These things I write to you that I come to you shortly, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, the household or family of God, literally. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger sisters as younger women as sisters, with all purity. The local church is a family. We're to relate to one another, not as employees and employers. Not as overlords or rulers or kings and queens. We're to relate to one another as brothers and sisters, as mothers and fathers. That's what it's all about. Because we share the same life, eternal life, through faith in Jesus Christ. The church becomes a church home when members of the church treat people like family. And that begins with joining the church and saying, I want to be a part of the family. You know which children are yours in your home and which ones aren't. It's important that we recognize and know the people that are ours. And church membership is one way to help us establish that. Our gracious God and Father, take this message and use it in whatever ways that you choose to, to honor your Son, Jesus Christ, that His name and His church might be lifted up today. Amen.
Could you get out your hymnals, please? Archie selected a, a hymn for. 415, 415. We are called to be God's people. Please stand. Four fifteen. We're going to do verses one and two, please. Russell, Russell, Russell. <laughs> Oh, mm-hmm. 